Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode 115. This week, we talk with Scott Hunter about the amazing things going on at .NET Core and ASP.NET, different ways to bounce a ball on the web, spell check and electron apps, and tabs are significantly slower than spaces in Firefox. This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Infragistics, providing tools and solutions to accelerate design, development, insights, and collaboration for any organization. This week, we have Scott Hunter, Director of Program Management for the .NET Platform. Welcome, Scott. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. Yeah. Uh, Carl, uh, that conference is sure sneaking up on us. So what's the plan? Yeah. So uh, it, it sounds like you're not going to be able to make it. You've got a no. conflict. So I will be there and I will be recording. Uh, we'll try to do it kind of similar to last year. We'll try to hit a bunch of different people. So if you see somebody that's on the speaker list you want us to talk to, or if you know somebody that's going that's really interesting, send us their names and we'll try to get in contact with them. Uh, we're really looking forward to it. And we have some awesome giveaways. Uh, pretty much anybody will be able to get one of these awesome MS Dev Show Cups mm-hmm. if they show up. And uh, we have a few other things to give away as well. So uh, come on over and check us out. We'll have a booth there. Of course, I have all the nice Molsky notebooks, don't I? Or do you still have some of those? <laughs> uh, you have most of them. So Okay. You got the M&Ms, though. So yeah, Carl, Carl's still got lots and lots of goodies. So I wouldn't worry about that. Yep. Okay. So who's the Infragistics Ultimate Winner of the Week? This week, it's Federico Rinaldi. He sent us an email. He said he discovered our show about five or six episodes ago, and it was a great one. Um, He's been rediscovering RSS thanks to the feed command in Slack. Um, He also noticed that we're on Channel 9 and a bunch of other places. Um, He said the show really helps him keep up with Microsoft technologies because he's been a longtime .NET developer. It's easy to follow Microsoft tech. But the last couple of years with Azure, all the different flavors of .NET and everything that's going on, it's really hard to keep up. Uh, He really enjoys that we have different ways to get a hold of us. Uh, We're on YouTube. We're on uh, Channel 9. We have our own RSS feed and website. Mm -hmm. Um, But he feels that, you know, he noticed that we don't quite update them all at the same time and was wondering if we could do a better job at that. So a little behind the scenes, um, Jason actually schedules the YouTube uh, channel nine and the RSS feed. Uh, So technically go off at about the same time. No. So I'm, I'm able to uh, schedule channel nine and schedule the RSS feed. I am not able to schedule YouTube and that's the problem. So, so it ends up, it's whenever I remember to do it. And one time I did it like three days late. Sometimes I actually hit the button. uh, If it's, if it's like a couple hours before we're actually publishing, I just push the button ahead of time. So uh, I don't see that being fixed, but actually Carl, he's mostly complaining about your uh, show notes. (laughs) <laughs> Mostly, yes. And I was going to get to that. So most of the time, I'm about two to four hours late on the website. Yeah. Um, occasionally, it's the next morning. Occasionally, I get it right away. So, you know, I, we try to do this as best as we can, but this is done in our off hours most of the time. And yep. uh, uh, we do take this to heart. and We will try to do a better job in the future. Yep. So Federico, uh, congratulations on winning the Infragistics Ultimate License. And if you would like to get mentioned on the show, like Federico, send us an email to feedback at msdevshow.com, comment on Facebook, YouTube, or Stitcher, and we really like those five-star iTunes reviews. Excellent. Okay, so for the news, we just have a couple short items here, but I think these are these are really cool. So the first one is this bouncy ball. So where did you find this, Carl? You know, it came across randomly on Twitter, but what okay. this is, is this guy put up just this little GitHub 
Bounce.io page mm -hmm. that shows you how to bounce a ball and animated it in regular uh, JavaScript, CSS, jQuery, like a bunch of different techniques. And it's really cool because, you know, it's very simple. It's doing something that, you know, some of us don't always do, you know, animations on the web aren't always straightforward. And he just kind of gives a reference, you know, this is how you do the exact same thing across these six or seven different techniques. Mm -hmm. I thought it was just really cool to check it out. Some of them are kind of verbose. Some of them are really short. Some of them are surprisingly short for the, you know, what it is. I thought vanilla JS would be a little bit longer than what it was, but these yeah, are all this, pretty this green sock I've never heard of, um, but they make it super easy. Uh, one that's missing too, um, that I guess, you know, it's, it's probably uh, on me since I'm pointing it out to add this, but uh, SVG is missing. Uh, yeah, so SVG has animations in there as well. So you can fork it on GitHub and give them a pull request, Jason. Yeah. So normally, like my go-to for this, like sort of my canonical like way of doing animations would be jQuery. I wouldn't necessarily use jQuery, but that's always my example of like, this is how easy it should be. But this green sock, I'm going to have to look into this because this is even easier. Um, yo, yo, true. And um, you pick your easing and where you want it to go from and to. And that's pretty much it. So that's as simple as it gets. Green so sock cool, is easy. Cool find. Yeah, have you used that, Scott? I've not used it, but I'm just looking at the, at the oh, sample. Oh, yeah, just looking at it? Yeah. yeah I've, I've never heard of it, so this is kind of a good advertisement for Greensock and whatever it is, because uh, I'd definitely be checking it out. Uh, okay, tabs slower than spaces in Firefox and executed JavaScript. This is this is insanity. <laughs> yeah, so this is actually straight from Bugzilla, and you know, I, I thought it was, you know, the title was obviously really clickbaity. I mean, tabs are slower than spaces. You know, there's always that it's not clickbait though. Like it's totally uh, yeah, it's but, but accurate. <laughs> it, it is accurate, but when you get down to it, it really doesn't have much to do with tabs or spaces. Um, Firefox and Mozilla was doing a micro optimization around in JavaScript on function.apply. And apparently, whenever that was less than a hundred characters, they did this optimization that would create just many, many, many copies of it. And that would just bloat the memory and slow everything down. Now this is fixed. It's not uh, out yet, but it'll be in one of the future versions of Firefox. So this is not something that's going to be, we're going to have to worry about going forward. Um, but I did think it was really cool. I read this entire chain here and it was interesting, you know, just seeing how somebody noticed it, put in a bug repo and seeing it, you know, yeah. Seeing, Go the through the stages. seeing the disbelief and then, and then everybody witnessing it for themselves. And you know, it's, it's really cool just seeing how this stuff gets worked on since this is open source. Yeah. So Scott, what's faster in.net tabs or spaces? <laughs> I, think it's, I hope they're the same. We're not doing any micro optimizations at this point. So Perfect. it's funny. Cause you'd almost think that their micro optimizations would favor tabs just because there's less actual characters in, in, you know, in the actual text file in JavaScript. But, uh, but the opposite ends up being true here. So yeah, this is, this is definitely not, it's not opinionated. It's just a hilarious bug. And Oh man, God help us if this gets brought up in like tabs versus spaces arguments. <laughs> these, these, these micro optimizations are all over these browsers. I mean, there's all kinds yeah. of weird stuff. Well, they have to, yeah, yeah. Uh, last one, electron spell checker. So uh, a former guest of the show, uh, Paul Betts, uh, right. he obviously we had him on talking about electron, and he came out with yet another project. So if you Check out github.com slash paulcbets. You'll see probably uh, about 2003 uh, projects by now. But his newest one is an, a spell checker for Electron. So I know that Electron's getting a lot of attention these days. And if you include this project, you essentially get spell checking out of the box. It uses uh, 
Google Chrome spell check and it knows how to like automatically detect and switch dictionaries and do all that cool stuff. Add a right click to the menu system. I mean, this really does everything you'd want spell check to do with no effort. So if you're doing something in Electron and think you need this feature, check it out. Awesome. Good find. Good find. Yeah. Good hey guys, job, I, I, I want to throw something out there. Can I, can sure. I, can I add one? Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. I just emailed you one. Um, let me know if you guys get that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We actually mentioned this on the- You've already mentioned it? Okay. We mentioned it on the last show. Actually, this is good, though. I'm going to talk about it. So I actually, <laughs> for the people who have video, you're going to have a little bit of an advantage here. Um, I'm not going to go like hardcore in the video, but here it is running. Although, of course, I have a big error on the screen. I was working through something. But yes, I, I have I have an actual iPad here and I'm running that app. And um, this thing, the timing couldn't have been better on this because what I found that this thing is great for, that, so I should back up and say what we're talking about. It's called Continuous. It's an iPad slash iPhone app, although it's uh, not that useful on the iPhone. It's it's super useful on the iPad, especially if you have a keyboard. You it uses uh, Roslyn, so you can you can sit there and write your you know C sharp code or F sharp code. And uh, what's kind of novel about it, other than the fact that you're actually like writing code and developing on an iPad, is that it will actually run in real time next to it. You know, so th- there's some samples on there like a Pong game where you can modify the ball size and like you, you type in a new ball size in, in less than a second, like the, the new version of the app is running, um, you know, in the, in the left pane and, uh, you can sit there and actually play it. And then there's a button where you can actually expand it full screen and, and run it that way as well. So I have a, I have an app that I'm working on, um, that I internally, I joke, um, and it's not like secret information, but I'm, I have this app called meeting spy where it it's gives you information about your, your next meeting and it goes and it pulls data from LinkedIn and we were having some challenges pulling data from LinkedIn. And then two days later we announced the uh, acquisition of LinkedIn. So <laughs> I always say that Sacha did that uh, just for me so I could get at the data, but it's a, it's a Xamarin app. And the UI is just, it's always kind of a hassle d- designing things in like a designer. Um, you know, they're just never, never quite perfect. And, and I'm able to actually design a UI. I would say, you know, just guessing five to 10 times faster using this because I can sit there and as I'm developing, if I do something wrong, I mean, I know immediately. And if I'm doing the right things, I get that feedback and I can see the, the UI on the left immediately. So it's a very cool app. I had I actually had lunch with Frank Kruger yesterday, who's the author oh, of of, yeah. of Continuous. And uh, um, as a .NET guy, it really excites me because this is a space that I want to find ways to bring new people into programming. Yeah, and I can't imagine an easier way to get into programming than hey, I don't have to install any tools or IDEs or anything yeah. like that. I just install an app from the App Store, and I hack around on my keyboard on my on my iPad. Um, I was coming flying back from uh, Xamarin yesterday, and I was writing an app. On an iPad on an airplane, um, yeah, which I in C sharp, which I I never. If you'd asked me that two weeks ago, did you ever think that'll happen, Scott? I was like, no, yeah, that doesn't, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty wild. You're right. I mean, so Xamarin development, like, it's gotten way way easier. But I mean, this, the fact remains, like, you still have to like, if you wanted, if you want to use Visual Studio, for example, you install Visual Studio, and then on your Mac, you install the Xamarin stuff, and you know, you you, you once you get all this stuff set up, like, it's glorious. But there's there's a lot of steps. And you're right. In this case, like, you get the app from the store, and you start writing code. Um, so it's, it's, it, it has some interesting implications, I think from, from a lot of different standpoints. So, um, yeah, it's, it's very cool and I'm glad you're playing around with it. Um, give you some ideas, um, to see, we'll see, we'll see what that has in store then. 
Uh, let's see here. Okay. So that was all we had for the news, but that, yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Cause yeah, I've been, I've been using that over the past couple days. So let's jump into, uh, into talking about.net because lots of exciting stuff going on right now. So I guess, first of all, let's just talk about like, what is.net core and also what is ASP.net, uh, core. What is that all about? Um, so.net core was, or is, well, I guess the best way to describe this is is uh, one of the things I think confuses customers is we have a lot of .NETs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we, we have .NET Framework, um, and .NET Framework is, is technically a Windows component. I mean, that's the way you should look at this thing. The delivery vehicle for .NET Framework is Windows. And so mm-hmm. if you want to build Windows applications with .NET, .NET Framework is the way to go. Um, there's the Mono Framework, which runs on Xamarin. And if you want to build mobile apps that run on iOS and Android, you know, that is the choice. I mean, but if you're a Xamarin developer, you don't really think of Mono. You just think that you're building Xamarin, I think, for the most part. Um, and then .NET Core fills a new void that we thought we had uh, in the .NET Continuum, which was, um, I want to build applications that run on servers or in the cloud, and those applications might want to run uh, cross-platform. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for example, we know that um, the Amazon Cloud, the Microsoft Cloud, all the other clouds, you know, all that you create VMs in uh, Windows and Linux, and we want to make sure that .NET um, has a place in those places. And so .NET Core is a subset of the .NET framework um, that runs cross-platform across Windows, Linux, and Mac OS X. Yeah. Yeah, and it absolutely, you know, like I, I you know, I've, I've run it on all the different platforms. So, I mean, the, the, the general experience is the same, right? Like it's, it is, I mean, it's the same code. There's, there's no funny business going on here. It's, it's, it's regular.net. There's nothing yep. different about it other than, it, you know, it doesn't have the full uh, amount of classes and stuff that the .NET framework has. But even that's something we plan to address. So um, as we look at the .NET continuum across all three of these, these models, the .NET framework, .NET core, and Xamarin, um, what I really want to do with the platform, and this is something we are doing and it'll happen mm-hmm. early next year, is we want to take all the .NET code that is not app model based. And so, if, you know, app model is an example of an app model for us is WinForms or WPF or UWP or ASP.NET or Xamarin. Those are all app models. Those are when you're targeting, I want to build a specific thing for some particular platform. But there's a lot of .NET strings and arrays and mm-hmm. uh, crypto and networking and stuff like that that is is consistent uh, or or is not tied to an app model. And so what we plan to do, if you look at .NET Core as we shipped it on June 27th, it's actually pretty constrained. It was it was just uh, enough stuff to get ASP.NET running, um, Entity Framework running, uh, and general purpose console and, and server applications. But moving forward, we actually will take what's in .NET Core and expand it out. Um, and pretty much all of the code in the .NET Framework that's not app model specific um, will end up being in .NET Core. Um, and and th- the goal there is basically to say, um, I like to say that I'm unfragmenting .NET. Um, mm-hmm. I don't want people to think that there's a full framework, and then there's a core, and then there's a Xamarin, and they all have a random ch- chunk of APIs across them. What we really want to do is use this term that we've been, we've been throwing around called .NET Standard. And .NET Standard is this common set of APIs that exist across all three platforms. Um, so whether you're building Xamarin apps, .NET Core apps, or full framework apps, there's a big chunk of .NET that is consistent across all of those. And that's going to really help our package authors. If you're the uh, Newton Softs that are building, you know, JSON parsers, it would be great. To, today, what, what, a, uh, what somebody like they do is they actually build a NuGet package. And if you open that package up, you'll see there's a folder mm-hmm. for every version of .NET that exists. There's one for Windows 8. <laughs> there's one for yeah. uh, all those platforms. I, 
if we're successful in, in six to eight months, I hope that what you'll do is you'll crack Newtonsoft open and you'll see there's one folder in there and it's called .NET Standard. And he writes one version of his technology uh, and by, by the fact of targeting .NET Standard, it runs on all the platforms. And so it simplifies mm-hmm. the package author um, and it simplifies the way that all of our customers can look at .NET going, hey, it's not really that we have multiple frameworks. Yeah, there's, uh, there's frameworks which target app models and then there's .NET Standard which is a common set of .NET that's consistent across all the, the frameworks and app models. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that means in you know the next big release of .NET Standard, basically I can install .NET Standard, and then if I'm writing a UWP app, I just bring in the UWP libraries. And if it also has an ASP head to it, I just bring in the ASP libraries, and both of them can share that vast amount of .NET Standard code that I've written that's common between them. Exactly. Um, basically, when you reference ASP.NET or you reference UWP, you're then basically tying yourself to a platform. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and in the case of UWP and ASP.NET, they're both .NET Core based. Yeah. Um, and, but that's that's when you're making the decision to actually tie yourself to a particular yeah. platform. But, but if other, I need, but ahead. if I need crypto in both, I don't have to use the special crypto for one or the other because that's that's in the standard. So. It, Exactly. There's not a, there's, the goal is not to have a special crypto for core and a special crypto for framework, full framework and stuff like that. It's, there's one crypto that works the same everywhere. Um, it, you know, the, the best way to think of this is as .NET evolved over the years, um, as I like to say, we fragmented it. We made it, we made .NET compact. There was, there was .NET compact framework, mm-hmm. which was like a subset of, of .NET. There was uh, Silverlight, which was a different su- subset with an app model on top of it. Um, there was Windows 8. Uh, Windows 8 phone, uh, there's a variety of these things. Yep. Um, and if you're .NET developer, it's confusing because you might go to one of those platforms and try to use a crypto library, and it's like, hey, it's not on this on this platform. Exactly. And so, mm-hmm. so first of all, thank you <laughs> for, for, for .NET Core. But yeah, I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to say the S word unless you said it. So I... Um, yeah, I remember when when Silverlight first came out. So first we had, you know, there was there was the .NET framework and and things were good. And then I saw Silverlight and I'm like, oh, cool! Like all my existing stuff will work with this. And I I wanted to create some unit tests and like you couldn't. Uh, this was you know at the beginning. I'm like, what? I thought this was .NET. Like what's going on? And I that that's when I kind of felt felt betrayed by the whole thing. Um, so I I really like where where this is going. Um, one question I do have is this .NET standard. Is that get brought in as a new get or how, what is, how does that come in? So .NET standard will be, a, a, in some ways, it's a platform that you can target. Okay. So when you, when you decide to build a class library, you can decide to build a class library that, that instead of targeting .NET framework or .NET core or mono, mm-hmm. what you do is you make your class library target .NET standard. Okay. Um, and you'll choose a version of .NET standard. And right now, the .NET standard that shipped with the .NET core release was 1.6. And that's the fairly constrained one. Uh, the, the, we have a .NET standard 2.0 uh, that's tentatively s- scheduled to ship sometime early next year. Mm-hmm. And that's the one that will broaden the scope of .NET standard to be uh, all the APIs that are consistent across full framework, .NET Core, and Xamarin. Okay. And so how do I get that? Is it a NuGet or not? Um, it will be just, it, it, is, it is technically implemented as a NuGet. Okay. Um, and and what, I can, what I can describe what it is, it's basically it's a NuGet meta package. Okay. So, and what a meta package is, is, you know, when you build a NuGet, you can write a, an individual NuGet, or you might want to say, hey, I have a whole bunch of NuGet packages, and I just want to reference them as a whole. And so you can make a package that then references a bunch of other packages. This is very consistent today. I mean, if you're, mm-hmm. building, if you're building anything today, you might actually have your package, you know, make it, take a dependency on another package. 
And so all the .NET standard really is is a package graph um, of all the stuff that makes mm. up the .NET standard. I gotcha. Okay, and, cool. and so it'll it'll be a meta package that contains all the packages of all the .NET bits uh, that we we say are consistent across um, you know all those platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course the tools will be smart enough to actually if you target one of those standards, the tooling will be able to walk that graph and put squiggles on stuff that that you actually are trying to use that are not. In, not in that meta package. Okay. So it seems like unification and cross-platform are, are sort of the big advantages here of .NET Core. Um, is, there, is there anything else that you see as like a huge advantage now going, going forward with this path? Yeah, the, the, other, uh, the other big benefit that .NET Core brings you other than unification and uh, cross-platform is it also brings you side-by-side. Um, mm. You know, one of, the, one of the big challenges we have with the .NET framework today, um, this, is, this is what even led to the reason there's a .NET Core and there's a reason, in, the reason there's an ASP.NET Core, is um, the .NET framework, um, I, in fact, I'll just, I'll just go back in time and tell you the, real, the, the true story is, <laughs> the, the ASP.NET team a couple years ago was looking at how to build the next generation of ASP.NET. And w- what we thought we would do is, um, you know, to, to, to do a next generation ASP.NET, we had to go change what was there. But I can't change what's there because if I change what's there in the .NET framework, it'll break all the existing applications. Mm-hmm. And so we actually put an effort together to see if we could actually take um, system.web and make it move out of band. Out of band means we can ship a copy of it that's not in the .NET framework and override the one in the .NET framework. Um, we got to a point where we thought it worked, and it did work for runtime, but it would not work for design time, meaning that Visual Studio... Uh, when it booted up, it would load system, the system web in, in the .NET framework, not the not the special mm-hmm. version that we had built as an as an OOB. Um, and then trying to fix Visual Studio to load the OOB versus the dot, the one in the .NET framework ended up being way too large of a task. Um, and so this is where this whole side by side notion comes on uh, comes into play. Is we were kind of trapped because we couldn't change the ASP.NET that was in the .NET framework because if I did, I would break customers. Um, but at the same time. I don't want to ship another version of .NET Framework that has to sit side by side with the other .NET Framework because that ends up being a huge size on disk problem. If you're trying to, mm-hmm. to build tablets and you're trying to build phones and all these things that, and Xboxes that all use you know the same version of Windows, um, you, people have to realize a .NET Framework is a big thing. If you act, if you look at all just the, this first off, there's the code on disk in the in the .NET folder, but then we actually you know create native images of those things. And so what looks like it might be 100 or 200 megs, actually after all the native, native images and stuff come into play, it ends up being a gig or, or a gig and a half. Um, the Windows team wants to make Windows smaller, and so we can't go and throw a whole bunch of .NET frameworks on a Windows machine at, at a gig and a half a throw. Um, and so um, that doesn't work. And so that's what led to doing .NET Core, which is, hey, let's go take a, a version of the .NET framework. Let's remove all the app models from it. So there's no WinForm. There's no WPF. There's no ASP.NET. There's none of that. Uh, and that is what the genesis of .NET Core is. And, and it ends up being that if you take all that other stuff away, .NET Core ends up being a 30 or 40 meg thing. Um, and because it's a 30 or 40 meg thing, I can actually put a whole bunch of those side by side on a machine and it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. And so a big benefit of .NET Core is um, you could have one app on your machine using .NET Core 1.0.0. And maybe six months from now when we have .NET Core 1.1, you have that on your machine as well. If you install that on your machine, it doesn't change any of the other apps. The apps that are targeting .NET Core 1.0 will still use .NET Core 1.0. You can build new apps using .NET Core 1.1. And as a customer, that means you never have that problem of, hey, I want to move my server to .NET 4.6.3 or 4.6.2, and I have to go revalidate all my applications to make sure they work. Right. In, this, in this world, 
you move you you throw a copy of .NET Core 1.1 on your server, all your .NET Core 1.0 apps continue to use .NET Core 1.0 on the machine, and only your new apps that want to use the 1.1 features use those use those new features. And so you get this full side by side, which I hope means customers can take advantage of new features faster without risk of breaking their old apps and and stuff like that. Um, and that also brings up one other, uh, I guess, change as well is in the .NET Core space, we want to make it very easy. If you look at the .NET framework, it's actually serviced by Windows. You know, Windows Update, Microsoft mm-hmm. Update, Service.NET Framework. Um, we want to be a lot more explicit with .NET Core. Um, you know, it, once again, let's say your .NET on your machine is serviced, and then your application breaks. Um, I only want to service the .NET Core on a machine if a major security bug is, is fixed. So you'll, you know, anything else, the customer will have to go acquire a .NET Core 1.01 or a 1.02. We're not going to push those to a machine automatically for you. Okay. It's now a customer pull model versus a Windows push model. Um, and the idea there is it just gives the developer more control of their machine. And it means that, you know, you shouldn't be broken by. Yeah, uh, we're not just like, you know, randomly breaking them on a Tuesday. But yeah, we don't, we don't try, you know, even today we don't try to, to, to break people. That's, that's another thing, you know, you ask why .NET Core exists. I remember back, it was 2008, and we were, we were shipping .NET uh, 3.0. 5 SP1, I think it was what okay. it was at the time. And uh, we fixed an innocuous bug, and um, that rippled through the entire system. So, that, so what, what happened was, if you had a form in, in uh, web forms, and so you have a form, form tag with run it equal server on it, mm-hmm. um, there is an action attribute on there. And, and uh, what happened was, we ignored the action attribute if you put run at server on that. And we got people to complain for many years. Oh, you should, you should honor the action. And so here I am, I'm the .NET PM, and I'm like, hey, we're going to go fix this. And I'm yeah, going to Everybody's make asking for it. <laughs> everybody's asking for this. I'm going to fix it. <laughs> so I fix it, and we ship uh, 3.5 SP1. And what had happened was a bunch of customers had tried to put an action on a form with run at equal server on it, and it did nothing. So, so they, they, left, left it. they left it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so with me making it suddenly work, Suddenly, I broke a whole bunch of apps because suddenly all this code that people just left in their app that didn't do anything, it was yeah. a no-op, became an op. Yeah. Um, and that just shows you that, that uh, it is so difficult to not break stuff in the .NET framework because, you know, I'll give you another crazy example. There was a, a couple years ago, um, somebody in .NET framework, there was an API, and if you called that API, it loaded some uh, DLL on Windows. And a customer was using pinvoke. And so they tried to p-invoke into that DLL one day and just, hey, it just works. Well, they never loaded the DLL. They just assumed it was loaded because when they tried it, it was loaded. Mm-hmm. So somebody makes a, a, a change in the .NET framework so we no longer depend on that DLL being loaded, so we don't load it. And now, um, <laughs> by the way, this was a first-party customer. This is an internal service inside of Microsoft. So, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, And, and we, we broke them. And uh, you know, it just shows you that that even small inoculous changes, like you know, not having yeah. a side effect of loading a DLL. Yeah, and without them even doing anything, right? So I mean, right. they're just their service is running, and they're like, you know what, guys, like and and girls, don't don't check, don't you know, don't don't do anything for the next couple of days, you know, because I don't know, Fourth of July is coming up, right? And uh, and then all of a sudden it just breaks on them. Yeah, that's kind of a crappy situation. So now that's not going to happen, right? If they don't touch it, everything should be good, and then they can you know say, oh, you know what. We want we want this new feature, so we're going to bring it in. They can test it, and then yes. they can roll it out when they want. Exactly. The goal is That's they have to opt, they have to decide when they yep. want to opt in versus it being pushed on the machine um, as a as a patch. And and yeah. and these are just things that we learned over time. I mean, you know, it you know, you, people have to realize the .NET framework is installed on over a billion machines. 
Um, wow. And so just think about the, the compatch, trying to make sure that when you push a patch, even a security fix, that you don't break anything across a billion machines. Yeah. Uh, if it only affects one in a billion. <laughs> oh, wait, that's still going to break somebody. <laughs> Dang it. Actually, I, I would take one in a billion. So if, if, yeah. if I only broke one in a billion, that's, that's a success. Yeah, but one in a million is still a thousand people broken. Um, yeah, and actually they're not even people, right? I mean, well, I mean, this, this, these could be like important machines running important stuff. Right. <laughs> and so, so with .NET Core, we had, we had a chance to, you know, split away from that model and, and, and go to a slightly different model. Um, Excellent. which I think is good there. Infragistics, ultimate UX and UI tools and enterprise mobility solutions, share plus and report plus enable high performance apps on any device, faster data insights, simplified collaboration, and market-leading security, all backed by comprehensive support. With Infragistic's Ultimate UX and UI Development Toolkit, you can ensure mission-critical applications delivering a superior user experience on the desktop, web, and native device environments for iOS and Android. With the latest BI tools, wow your users with dashboards providing the data insights that they need when and where they need it, all at a low total cost of ownership. Try it today. Download a free trial at infragistics.com and follow them for the latest updates in UX and UI development, reporting and collaboration at Infragistics on Twitter. And remember, each week, if we pick your comment on the show, you will get a free copy of Infragistics Ultimate UX and UI Toolset. What is my tooling experience? So I know on Windows I can use, you know, I call it now like big Visual Studio. I don't, there's probably a better name for it, but just Visual Studio, quote unquote. Um, you know, obviously I can use that. Um, I can use VS Code. Can I use VS Code on all the platforms? Like what does that all look like? Yeah, so the the, the tooling, um, as we reimagined ASP.NET and we reimagined .NET um, and we thought about from, thought of the cross-platform aspect of things, that required us to think of tooling from a different direction first. Mm-hmm. So historically, we've always thought of tooling as a Visual Studio thing. That's what you do is you go and, and write a bunch of conk in, in Visual Studio to make it support your platform. As we started reimagining things, we said, hey, we're going to be command line first. So we have a, a, I hate the fact that we named this thing and we actually call it, but it is, it is what it is, I guess. <laughs> uh, we have what we call the .NET CLI. And so that's the .NET command line interface. Um, and that's a series of commands that, that, you know, you can run that work everywhere. So, you know, the .NET CLI runs on Windows, Mac, and Linux. Um, and so we, we kind of switched and said we're going to do tooling from a command line first attitude. Um, and the reason we're going to do that is we know that some of our customers are not going to be in Visual Studio. They might be on VS Code on a Mac. They might be on Sublime on a Linux machine. Uh, they could be on VI or Emacs on a mm-hmm. whatever platform it is. Um, and by doing the uh, tooling command line first, it means we can address all those customers, um, but still give our Visual Studio customers a, a great experience. Yeah. If you're a well, and before if, and before we get too deep into this as well, like I, I just want to explain, like the the doc, your documentation that actually walks through how you do this from the command line is is super simple. Like if you want to do hello world in Linux using Nano, for example, you I mean it's a piece of cake, right? So there's just a couple of .NET command lines that you run, and you just edit a text file, and and you're you're off to the races. Which I think yeah. is a pretty cool experience. Yeah, that that's three commands: .NET mm-hmm. new, and then .NET restore, and then .NET run. If you run mm-hmm. those three commands, you'll build a, a brand new .NET console application that runs on all the platforms uh, right out of the box. So it's it's very simple. We have you know we we built the the tool chain around what we call a driver, uh, and the driver is is the command .NET. Um, and you can say .NET new, you can say .NET build, you can see uh, .NET restore, uh, .NET publish, .NET run. 
Um, and so the idea is to make that super, super simple. Um, at the same time, if you're a Visual Studio customer, you never have to know or even try to run any of those commands. It's completely, you know, visual. Um, it, it's, it's kind of funny. When we first started working on this, um, I'm Scott Hanselman and I are running around the, the world and we're showing people this and we're showing the command line and, uh, and there was this funny thread. People are like, uh, put the, vis- the visual back in Visual Studio. Um, we had, we had, we had to realize that we needed to demo everything twice, once on command line. And yeah, once yeah, you went, you went like too far to the other side. Now, uh, yeah, everybody who's used to visual studio is like, what, what's going on here? We were so excited to have command line. Yeah. We had it before that we, we kind of overshone that. And, and, uh, <laughs> uh, but you know, if you're a visual studio customer, you, you'll, you, I would still call it, you're going to get the best experience there. Just that integrated IDE is. Yeah, because in that case, I mean, it's just file, new project, and you pick it. and F5, I mean, control F5, yeah. right-click, publish, um, yeah. right-click, add package. Um, super, super simple. <clears throat> and it installs and does everything for you. Um, and vi- even Visual Studio, you know, you were, you were calling, what, what was your term for Visual Studio? Big Visual Studio. <laughs> <laughs> um, Don't we, mean to offend anybody. <laughs> we, we showed something um, at the Build Conference Um that, that I think is pretty cool. We showed it at, at the Connect conference in November and the Build conference in April. Um, and this is the new installer for the next version of Visual Studio. Mm-hmm. Um, and the goal is to make Visual Studio not big Visual Studio anymore. Yeah. Um, part of the reason Visual Studio is so big is um, when you run Visual Studio installer, it installs you know all the stuff to build all types of different workloads. Um, so it's not v- very granular. Um, for people that didn't see it at Build, uh, Scott Hanselman and I sat on stage and we installed Visual Studio from a USB memory stick on a machine in under one minute. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and trust me, if, if you've installed Visual Studio today, you know it is not a one-minute scenario. It's more like a 30-minute or 45-minute Yeah, like I, 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 this is going to sound really terrible, but, you know, we're among friends and, and, and now, you know, now this is getting fixed. But it, I would actually, like on a new machine, I'd have like my Surface or something, which is pretty powerful, but you know, already have Visual Studio installed on a whole bunch of machines. And I'd be like, oh, I want to just do this one thing. You know, I want to travel and I want to have just have this with me. And I'd, I'd open up the Visual Studio installer and then I'd sit there and be like, you know, I just, I don't want to, I, I don't have time for this. <laughs> so, so I, I'm just like, I'm going to install Visual Studio code because I, I know that it takes 30 seconds and it's going to take up like zero because the space honestly isn't like a huge issue. I mean, when you get up to like 30 gigs, <clears throat> excuse me, that, that ends up being an issue, but um, space these days is pretty cheap. It's more about the, yeah, the install experience and then also running the updaters and those types of things. Right. And so, so the reason that Visual Studio can install so much faster is because we've made it way more granular. Mm-hmm. So in the, in, the, in the case of the next Visual Studio, if you just say you want C-sharp, and you, actually, you could actually say you want C-sharp and you want C-sharp for web. You wouldn't get WinForms or WPF or, or VB or anything Very else. Cool. You'll, you'll just get what you actually ask for. And so mm-hmm. that's really the, the reason we can make it install so much faster is, is because it's way more granular. I mean, today, you know, just saying you want .NET, well, means... God, you can build everything with .NET. You can build right, phone apps, right. you can build UWP apps. You can build. It's it's just not granular enough. Yeah. And, and the the phone emulators, fifteen gigabytes. And it's like, wait a second, I'm not writing for phone. <laughs> exactly. So you're gonna you're gonna have a very grand. It's, it's gonna give you a couple of choices for workloads. You, ch- you cool. check the workload that you want, and it's just gonna install stuff for that. If you, but if you want to go more granular, you can go check on or check off pretty much anything you want. And then another cool aspect of the of the new uh, installer that's coming out is. Um, it also moves away from using uh, MSIs and registry for a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. um, which means if you want to go delete a Visual Studio, you just go nuke the folder. Really? That's yes. awesome. Uh, I, I, did, I didn't know that before this. That's amazing. So, so there'll, there'll be some components that are still globally installed because yeah. 
everybody's not had a chance to go and and yeah. and c- unconvert their their things from MSIs. Yeah. But one of the, one of the things that makes the installer awesome is um, it uses some features in Windows where you can actually redirect the registry to a file on disk. Mm. And so the so when the Visual Studio is installing, it'll actually say it's got its own private copy of whatever registry it needs in its folder. Um, so it doesn't have to make global registry changes to your machine. Um, and then because it's not MSI-based, the, there's no MSI database on your machine that has to be updated as you do this install. And so the hope for the team is, um, whenever one we showed at Build was, man, the thing installs fast. But I would also then hope that when you do when when update one or update two comes along, it's not like a two or three hour thing either. Right, Suddenly right. update one is like you know five minutes. Um, uh, but a lot of that time on these updates and stuff is actually you know Windows keeps a keeps track of everything in this big MSI database that sits on yep. your machine. It's got to go modify the registry. It's, it typically makes a copy of that to make sure you have to, if you roll back. Um, so those are just a bunch of improvements that are coming to make the, as you call, big Visual Studio. Hopefully, <laughs> not, not feel so big, not yeah. so big, and hopefully makes the installer and the updates, you know, much much quicker operations um, as we Very move cool. forward. Yeah, I would never actually go nuke the folder, but just the the fact that like you say that that's possible just gives me like really good feelings about it. <laughs> yeah, I I I I can't wait. I hopefully hopefully in in the next few months I can actually go on stage and actually demo installing Visual That'll Studio and and hopefully just going nuking the folder and showing an ad <laughs> programs. There's nothing left. Well, then you can show a reinstall by just restoring it from the recycle bin. Oh. <laughs> yes. But but even even for us internally, it, it makes life a lot easier. If you can just yeah. go, you know, copy the VS folder and throw a new DLL in it and go, hey, I've got my I'm testing a new copy of VS. That's that's pretty cool. That's really cool. And the whole registry rede- redirection sounds sounds uh, centennial-ish. So, but I won't uh, I won't ask about that. <laughs> <clears throat> I you know, I don't know the history of that feature, but I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure it comes from the com era. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. So uh, if I have like an existing project that I, I'm thinking about that I, I want to migrate it to .NET Core or something, you know, how would I go about that? Is there any kind of tooling that would help me with that or is that just not a good idea? <laughs> <laughs> not a loaded question or anything. It's not loaded. Um, I, I think the biggest thing is if you're building a .NET Core application today, you're probably going to be building an ASP.NET application, an ASP.NET Core application because that's the main app model that we built on top of .NET Core today. Um, so I think really the question you're asking is if I have an ASP.NET application today and I want to move it to ASP.NET Core, what right. does that look what does that look like? Um, and there is no magic wand that you can wave over that that will automatically convert your application. Um, that said, um, MVC is you know ASP.NET MVC is very similar to the ASP.NET MVC that we shipped before. What I would actually tell a customer to do is to is to uh, go into Visual Studio and create a new ASP.NET Core uh, application, and then basically paste the views and the controllers from your existing ASP.NET application into the appropriate folders in the ASP.NET Core project, and then compile and compile until it mm-hmm. actually goes again. So that's, um, I'd love to say that I have a, a tool that magically converts stuff. Well, um, I, I actually, I think I heard somewhere that there's not a tool that'll do the conversion, but a tool that'll tell you if you're using like any API that's not available or something. Yes, there is there is a tool, and I can I can send you guys the URL offline. I don't have it in front of me right now, but there is a tool today that will tell you um, you run it you run it against your existing uh, application. It'll tell you what APIs you're calling that might not exist in, in .NET Core today. Um, I don't want to push that tool super hard right now because I was mm-hmm. just describing earlier that a whole bunch of those APIs are going to come back, and so you might find that um, here's what I would tell the customer: if the main reason to think about using .NET Core today. Um, is probably because 
you want you you need one of the the big benefits of .NET Core uh, that might might affect you. There, the big benefits of .NET Core that might affect you today are you need to run your application on uh, Linux, or you need to app, or you want to develop your application on a Mac. That's probably one of the the big things that would strive to get you to use .NET Core today. Is I need cross uh, cross platform support, mm-hmm. um, and that's something that may, might cause you to want to uh, port to .NET Core. You might ask yourself the same question, like why is Microsoft pushing Linux, and why would you be doing that? Well, I'm sure you guys have heard um, Docker and containers is this super popular model that's that's come, kind of come into play today. Um, and the Windows team uh, with Windows Server 2016 is adding container support to Windows, but it's not there yet. And so I have a lot of customers in my world that said, hey, we want to go build uh, applications in containers on .NET. How do I do that? .NET Core is your way to do that today. Um, and so I think right now, if you're a customer, cross-platform and containers are probably the two big reasons uh, you might want to look at .NET Core, um, and that's that's to me would be your your decision maker is do you want those capabilities, and if so, you should move the .NET Core. ASP.NET Core, which runs on .NET Core, also runs on full framework. So if you want to take advantage of the new capabilities of ASP.NET, um, you don't have to move to .NET Core necessarily oh, to do that. That's good to know. So you can take your ASP, and so then the question might be, well, why would I want to migrate from ASP.NET to ASP.NET Core? Um, and there's a, there's a variety of good reasons to do that. Um, ASP.NET Core is basically the next generation of ASP.NET. And as we mentioned at the beginning of the call, um, you know, when we started this project a couple of years ago, I couldn't make the changes in system web that I wanted to, to make. Mm-hmm. And, and so I had to go make a breaking change to, to do that because I just couldn't fix that without breaking uh, compatibility. And so what are the, what are the, what are the key tenants for, for ASP.NET Core? One of the one of the key tenets of ASP.NET Core is if you go back in time in 2002 when we built ASP.NET, our real goal there was to make it easy for customers to move from desktop to web, and so we built this framework that that uh, basically had everything turned on by default to make it easy to move. You didn't have to turn anything on. ASP.NET Core takes a totally opposite approach, which is we're going to give you the minimal amount of stuff to run a, a web application. And you opt and you opt into everything that you want because you might have one customer that just wants to run an endpoint that uh, a single endpoint that returns JSON. They don't need routing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't need model validation. That was they one of my biggest complaints. So um, I'm so happy right now. Yeah. So so we we made it. You know, in, in the old ASP.NET, everything was on by default, and, you, and some of it you could never turn off. You could turn some modules off and some stuff, but it was it was not able to. Turn well, I would it all always off. go through like I'd want to create like a simple web API. I would in Visual Studio, I'd set it up and it would go Bleh, right, and and then I would go through and I would sit there and delete, 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 delete. Like I had kind of a list of things that I would delete in there to remove all the stuff that I knew I was never going to use. I like the build up approach versus the tear down approach. Yes, well, I mean, as I said, you couldn't tear down all the way. So, right. so, so with the build up approach. Um, you know that's that's a huge benefit for a lot of customers is you can choose to use as much or, or as, as little of our framework as, as you want. Um, and then another another key tenet of ASP.NET Core was, was around performance. And uh, uh, the greatest way I like to explain performance is if I go back to the system web world, which is nothing wrong with the system web world. Uh, when it was built, it was built as a to, to have compatibility with ASP.NET Classic or ASP ASP Classic. Yeah, which was the the predecessor to ASP.NET. Yep, I remember. I remember those um, days. <laughs> and so we 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 had this we had these these uh, objects in ASP Classic. Uh, there was you know there was a request object, a response object, a server object. We mimicked all those things when we built ASP.NET. Mm-hmm. So it, to make it easy to move your code over. Well, if you move to, to to today, those objects are 30k. So every request coming into ASP.NET was 30k. <laughs> um, 
the best way to make the framework go faster is to allocate less memory and you go faster because the, the garbage collector doesn't have to work as hard. We don't have to allocate as much memory. Um, and so in, in ASP.NET Core, um, that shrinks, you know, from 30K down to like 1 or 2K. Um, which is 28k wow. less per per request, yeah. um, which is where the the perf comes in, 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 into into play. And so, um, one thing that I I, ho- I hope all people that listen to this uh, realize, because I I we were just at some customers just this last week, and they weren't aware of some of this stuff. Is even though I talk about this all the time, there's this tech and power benchmark, and and we are about number eight on that benchmark, and our our competitors like Node.js and stuff are like number sixty on those benchmarks. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are a, a very, very fast framework. Um, yeah, I've been trying to get that message up for a long time. Cause, and I, I think I even talked to you about it, I think a couple of years ago, cause I was, I was always saying, you know, I, I actually talked to developers that were switching to node just because they're like, well, I heard node is really fast and I'd say node. And I said it on this show many times, you know, node isn't fast. The fact that they do everything async and they force you into these patterns is actually, is why it's so much faster out of the box. And if you do the same things, you know, even in ASP.NET MVC, if you follow those async patterns and you do it that way, um, you know, the numbers are are amazing on that. And now with you guys really slimming down, you know, some of the, the memory requirements and things like that, I mean, you can get insane performance out of this. Yeah, you can, you know, on our on our internal hardware, we're getting uh, over 5 million requests a second. Mm-hmm. Um, compared to on system web, we were getting about a hundred thousand requests a second. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's a, it's an That's order awesome. of magnitude difference. Yep. Um, but you know, I think, I think the reason that node felt that way, you know, I think also node node has that same notion of build up Yeah. where you start with nothing and you just add stuff to it. And, you know, you know, we find that once you, you know, go add a bunch of frameworks on top of node, you know, you start with, with express as a routing framework and then you yep. go add an MVC pattern on top of that. And well, then authentication and, you know. Yeah, you, once you build all that stuff up, you know, yep. you, you slow the whole stack down. So it's, uh, uh, but so, so being, being very modular and, and core buildup was a, was a huge part of ASP.NET, ASP.NET Core. Um, then a whole bunch of other things came into play as well is, is rethinking the framework. We rethought configuration. Um, configuration historically was a text file. Uh, we saw lots of problems with, with, uh, you know, how do you override your configuration when you move it to a cloud? Um, really what you should be doing is you should be configuring the cloud in the cloud. Um, and so we have a new configuration model where you can use environment variables and stuff like that that map better to, better to the cloud. Um, so there's a brand new configuration system. You know, logging was something that what system web had okay, I guess. MVC had less. Um, you know, logging is now built in as a low level component all the way in the, in the bottom of ASP.NET and it flows all the way from if you're a small doing nothing all the way to full MVC. You get logging all the way through the entire platform. Uh, we did uh, dependency injection, which flows through the entire platform. There was p- plenty of people that bolted dependency injection on top of you know the old MVC mm-hmm. and the Web API, but MVC and Web API themselves weren't using dependency injection. And now, because we built it in the bottom of the platform, even our own frameworks uh, are built using dependency injection. So one of the demos Excellent. you might have seen is us using you know controllerless controllers. Because uh, you basically can inject the stuff you want into the the, the controller. Um, another key tenet of uh, well, my my probably my favorite ASP.NET Core feature is tag helpers, and and uh, that was in 2010 we started working on Razor, which was hey we we had this this um, ASP colon syntax that we'd been using in System Web for many many years, and we wanted to make it, the syntax simpler and have less. Ceremony around it, so we were counting how many keystrokes you had to write to do stuff, and we created this, ra- this razor, <laughs> this this razor thing, which 
felt like it was better. And Ra- I think Razor was a was a, a a good incremental change, but Razor also made things harder as well because with Razor, even though you got this simpler at syntax, um, if you were using some of our our HTML helpers and you wanted to go inject CSS and stuff in that, you you did that by by passing an anonymous object to a helper. I'm I'm passing CSS via a C sharp anonymous object <laughs> just doesn't compute yeah. in my head. Um, and so we were looking at markup of you know taking a ASP.NET application and adding Angular JS to it and and uh, God all the CSS that we had to stick in these anonymous objects and stuff like that is it suddenly your page was just piles of weird C sharp right um, and so with tag helpers the goal is to get back to having your HTML look like HTML and so in that in, in our new world um, everything is just attributes and okay. and uh, so you just write attributes and if you put a um, ASP4 attribute on on a regular HTML element, and then we take over and do some server-side processing on it. It was very similar to the way the directives worked in Angular 1. Um, but it makes the markup on the pages just look phenomenally awesome. And, that's cool. Uh, yeah, I haven't even looked at that, so I'm going to have to check that out. That's my favorite demo. If you, okay. if you, if you want to see a cool demo of that, um, take do a final new ASP.NET MVC5 application okay. um, and load the account folder and go to the login.cshtml file. Uh, and then create an ASP.NET Core application, go to the same folder, load the same login.cshtml file, and alt tab between the two of them. And you will be okay. blown away. The, mark, the markup will be reduced by probably 80%. Oh, wow. Uh, between awesome. the two. Okay. And, and if, you're an H, if you're an HTML CSS guy, you will actually understand the, 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 the one in ASP.NET Core, and you'll have no idea what the hell's on the screen. <laughs> um, in, in in the one in, in ASP.NET 5. Okay, very cool, very cool. So we talked about tooling, and I, one of the questions I wanted to ask was like, how do I get this thing? But um, I, w- one thing we didn't really dive into was the the tooling like on Mac and Linux. I mean, obviously you can use the command line, but what about, <clears> you know, so I, I can kind of tell you my experience. So on, on, on a Mac, um, I go on there, I already had Visual Studio, uh, or sorry, uh, VS Code installed. And um, I... Um, I started doing some, some .NET core stuff and it basically like popped up saying, Hey, you should install this SDK. I don't know. I pushed a button, some magic happened. And a minute later, like I had full IntelliSense and it was, everything was just amazing. Um, so I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit or explain what that experience is like. Yeah. So, so if you uh, are on a Mac or Linux or even windows, I mean, this works on windows as well. Yeah. Um, visual studio code has a extension model. And so visual, the, the goal with visual studio code is to have a super lightweight, small editor. And unlike the Visual Studio model, which we're now unwinding, and as, as we talked about earlier, earlier um, with VS Code, it starts small, kind of like ASP.NET Core starts small. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you add the extensions that you want. Um, and so the experience that you saw was, you know, if you opened a, a C-sharp file, it noticed that there was no extension loaded for C-sharp, and it went right. out and found one. I don't think that behavior actually exists anymore. Um, you now have to manually install the extensions. Um, and I, I think the reason that exists is because um, if there's multiple C sharp extensions, which one does it decide to auto load? Okay, because um, because Visual VS Code, at least right when I looked at it uh, just the other day, like it has this suggested add-ons, and I think it's still listed in there. It will it will list us because because the C sharp extension is the is the number one extension for VS Code. It's okay. the most it's the most number one most popular extension with hundreds of thousands of downloads. Um, so it's 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 super popular. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the experience honestly is um, first off, we have a new website. You can go to, if you're a .NET customer, what you do, or you want to try out .NET, you go to dot.net, 
um, DOT, you know, so .NET. So you, you, just, you figured out how to say that easily because that's the thing. Like whenever you see it written, it's perfect. And then you try to tell somebody like it's dot, dot .NET. And it's like, yes. wait, what? The best, best way to do that is <laughs> so DOT, DOT dot .NET. Okay. That, that will work for you. But you, you go there and you click the get button on core in the middle of the screen. Yep. And that will give you instructions on how to install core uh, on all the platforms. Very, very simple. Um, after that, you can you know install Visual Studio Code. And there's a you'll you'll load up the extension manager in Visual Studio Code and install the C Sharp extension. And once you do that, as you said, you will get full IntelliSense, you'll get full colorization, you get full debugging, um, all inside of Visual Studio Code. So you get a pretty dang good experience mm-hmm. uh, for building applications. And and that 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 tooling is powered by an open source project called OmniSharp. Mm-hmm. Um, and the cool thing about OmniSharp is it's also a usable. For other editors, so if you're using Sublime uh, or Vim or you know whatever, there's a whole pile of editors that 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 uh, OmniSharp supports. You can get colorization and IntelliSense. Oh, that's cool! I didn't uh, know that. In all those okay. editors as well, so it's not limited to just being you know uh, VS Code. Now you won't get debugging and stuff like that. So the the debugger and stuff like that is stuff that's uh, specific to our C Sharp extension that mm-hmm. we built for VS Code. But you can get a pretty decent experience. I mean, no no better experience you would get for any other language in Vim, Vim or VI or, or, you know, Sublime. Okay, very cool. Uh, anything else you wanted to mention? Otherwise, I think we're going to move on. Uh, what's, what do you have next? Uh, so Carl has a dev tip of the week, apparently. Yes. So there's a website you can go to, ide1.com. So I-D-E-O-N-E. Um, and what this allows you to do is you can actually write code in over 60 different languages and just kind of hit run in your uh, browser and you'll be able to interact with it. See if it runs, you can have input into that. And uh, I was playing around with it, just testing my skills with some of the different languages. And it's uh, it's a lot of fun and it's really good uh, if you have a snippet that you create, it generates a unique URL so you don't have to log in or anything. And you can just pass that URL to somebody else if you want to just share a code snippet or you know explain to somebody how a, a certain small feature works. Uh, it's a pretty fun little site for that. Cool, cool find. Okay, Scott, so we play this funny little game on here. It's a game for kids, but you know we're all kids at heart. So I need you to pick a number between one and four inclusive. Three. Three, okay. <laughs> Would you rather be a big, slow bird or be a fast little fish? Fast little fish. Really? Okay, okay. You like the water? I do like water, yes. <laughs> okay, Carl, pick a number. I'll take four. Number four. <laughs> I like how more complicated this one is. Would you rather lick the head of a bald football player after a sweaty <laughs> game or lick the whole top of a car hood that hasn't been washed in a month? I won this one already, so I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd probably do the uh, hood of a car. <laughs> <laughs> what would you pick, Scott? I know you're dying to answer. <laughs> I would take the hood of the car in that case. Yeah. Wash in a month. So that's like basically like my car right now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, in, in, in Seattle, it'd be fine because it rains often enough that the car is going to be in pretty good shape. So. I actually had it under a roof, so it is kind of disgusting right now, <laughs> which is such a shame. Uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we'll we'll move on. Uh, so Scott, where, I guess, I guess two things like where, where can people find out more about .NET core and where can people find you? Um, so well, actually, it, you mentioned .NET core, it's dot, .NET core. D-O-T.NET <laughs> is the best place to go to for yeah. .NET core. And, and there's one thing that I, I didn't mention that's, that's kind of cool sure. on the page. Um, you know, since, since we're on the call together, you guys, I, I challenge you guys, open your browser up mm-hmm. and go and go to D-O-T.NET. Yep. I'm there. And scroll down to start coding. 
Oh, oh. So, so you don't actually, even need IDE one. You can go straight to dot dot net. Yeah. What yeah. the heck, Carl? <laughs> yeah. So so uh, so one of, the, one of the cool things that we're we're doing um, as we're revamping the documentation as we move forward is we want to make it very easy for customers to try out dot net. Um, and so if you just go to dot.net and scroll down, there's actually a window where you can actually write .NET code and run it live is in the browser. Is this using uh, Monaco? It is. Okay, very cool. And, That's pretty cool. Yeah. And then, I mean, it will run your code. And if you click, go to the full tutorial. There is a full C-sharp, uh, getting started with C-sharp tutorial. Um, and you can actually even tell it uh, what your preferred development tool is, VS Code or VS or command line. You can tell it what your previous uh, language experience is, JavaScript, Java, C++, or Visual Basic 6. And as you go through the tutorial, it will then give you hints. Uh, like in, in JavaScript, you would have done this. This is what it would look like in C Sharp as you move through. And as you go through the tutorials, you can actually try the code live in the page. You yeah, need to move that to the top of the page. That's the only, <laughs> only thing I can say about that. This is fun. Yeah, it's very um, cool. And then where can people find you, Scott? You can find me at Twitter. I am at CoolCSH. Okay. And people always ask, how did you come up with that crazy at CoolCSH? Yeah, CSH, is that C sharp or not? That is Carl Scott Hunter, which is my full name. <laughs> okay. I wondered if it I wondered if it was going to be your your name or if it was you know, that's what I thought originally. And then I'm like, wait, that could be like C sharp. <laughs> every, every flavor of of Scott Hunter was taken or every any, oh, yeah. every version of my name was taken so many billions of times over already by two thousand eight. <laughs> um that I just took my initials and I put cool in front of them. So it's at okay. cool CSH. Find me on Twitter there. Um and check out dot that is cool, and you are cool. Okay, Carl, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. And you can find me at ytechie.com or on Twitter at twitter.com slash ytechie. So, Scott, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about .NET Core. This is super exciting, very cool stuff. Thanks, guys. 